0: So all week as I've been preparing for this text, uh, this sermon, I will say that in my mind, uh, I've been walking around for uh, seven days saying, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Now in the earlier service when I preached this text, Joe Plummer said that every time I said wee little man, that I looked at, back at him. And I want to say that's not true. I did not do that, that, I, that I, I'm conscious of. All right, so... Just to let everybody kind of know what's going on, uh, we were as is the way that we do things at Northland Co. Typically speaking, in the summer months, uh, I preach through the Old Testament narrative, First and Second Samuel, First and Kings. Um, we uh, have have been doing that in the summer. Uh, I'm sorry, to do that in the summer. In the fall, I'm preaching through the book of Luke. I've been here eight years and we're in Luke 19, so uh, we're, we're, we're powering through. And in the fall, I typically preach through an epistle. Um, because we don't know when the kids are going to be back in children's church, I decided to go ahead and start in Luke. There's some subjects that the text in First and 2 Samuel deal with that um, I just don't want to, to put you in a position as a parent to have to explain uh, what's some of the things that are going on. It's very dark, and I can't just yada, yada, yada it because it's important for us to understand what's going on to understand the rest of the story. And so rather than uh, put parents in an uncomfortable position I did, and put me in a position where I'm skipping parts of the, the Bible, I, I thought it would be best if we went ahead and went to Luke. Uh, I will say... That uh, my entire life, I've always—it's just an expression that people would say. Uh, so when are we get together, and they'd say, "Well, Lord willing, in the creek don't rise," uh, and I, that's just been something that was tacked on the end, and it didn't mean anything. Um, wow, the Lord is teaching us that the Book of James, where it says, "And don't say I'm going to go and do thus and so, but say, Lord willing, I will do it," uh, is really truth. Because, uh, like I said, I've always heard, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. Well, the creek is busting its banks. I don't know what we're doing next week. I really don't. I don't know if kids are going to school. Don't know what's going on. And you know what? I need my kids to get out of the house. I need them to go away. I love you, but I wanna, I, I'm looking forward to missing you. Um, and I'm sure, I'm absolutely certain, I'm looking at you. Y'all are thinking the same thing. Dad, is there some things that you need to take care of over there? Because I think there is, and so we're all in that position right now, but for us to understand what's going on here with Zacchaeus, we've got to back up, and so this will be a good way, it's a good story for us to back up into the book of Luke to see what's going on. Luke, probably more than any of the other, well, that's not true because Matthew kind of did the same thing. Luke is very thematic. Luke has the themes that bracket whole sections of the book of Luke, and we are ending one of those brackets It starts way over in Luke 15. In Luke 15, we start out with Luke 15 with this. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he starts out, this whole text starts out in Luke 15 with this idea that Jesus is having, is having the gall to have a meal with tax collectors and sinners. And so Luke then takes off into both teaching and practical application that shows us exactly why this is important. Now for us to get this, in the last year we went over this, but I want to remind you, okay, when we hear tax collector, we think, dude, uh, working for the IRS who's wearing a you know he's wearing a suit or maybe he's got on like a button-down shirt and a short-sleeve shirt and a tie and we've got this image that is not at all what the New Testament has in view when it says tax collector. In your mind when you read tax collector think Don Corleone or think Tony Soprano. We're talking about a person whose job it was was to extort money out of the average everyday guy so that he could get rich and he could empower the Roman government. He was literally the worst of the worst level of sinner in the Jewish mind because not only is this guy breaking people's arms to get money, he's doing it so that the, to fund the Roman government that's occupying them. Think in your mind if you know an insert country here. Just uh, I'm just gonna pick a random country, so I don't know if anybody. Let's say Switzerland were to take over the United States, and the Swiss are running this country, and we hate it. And there's people over here that are trying to fight them off, and there are people over here that are sneaking around being. Uh, Wolverine, you know, Red Dawn when I was a kid, Wolverine, Wolverine, and and they're doing their thing, and all that's going on, and there are Americans that are working with the Swiss, extorting money to fund their occupation in the United States, how we would feel. Okay, so you've got that natural hatred, plus they're the guy who would walk in, let's say that you're, you're first century, you're a Jewish person, and you make... Wine skins. You kill goats, you take the skin, you make wine skins. You're working hard to provide for your family. You're breaking even making wine skins. This guy walks into your shop and says, here's the thing. It'd be terrible if something happened to this place, wouldn't it? So I'll tell you what, you give me $100 a week, I'll make sure that nothing happens to your joint. You ain't got a hundred extra dollars, so you're taking money, food, off your children's table so that you can give this guy money because you know if you don't, something's going to happen to your shop. These are goons. These are extortioners. These are people, not only a tax collector would have gone to the Roman government and bought the right to collect taxes. They were hated. They were loathed. Whatever the worst class of sinner in your mind is, that's what this is. If it's pedophile, if it's if it's uh, rapist, if it's murder, whatever. I, I mean, I'm, my whole life growing up in Alabama, there would be some crime that would be you know you'd read about it in the Gazette and Times, and all the guys would be standing around talking, and somebody would say, "This that guy needs to go under the jail." If it was up to me, that guy needs to be taken out in the swamps and ball play and tied to a stump. Or if it was up to me, that guy needs a, a short rope and a tall tree. That crime, that person is who Jesus is talking about. And the whole text starts out with Jesus having the unmitigated gall to tell these people that God loves them too and that they can get saved. And the tax collectors and the sinners Are coming to Jesus because he's showing them compassion and he's showing them love. And the good church folk are the people who are mad. So the scribes and Pharisees are angry. So Jesus then takes off into a Luke carries us through the teachings of Jesus that applies to this. Starts out with a story of a lost sheep. 99 sheep are all a-okay, they're good, they're there, they're clean. Just one little sheep is run off. Uh, The good shepherd puts those sheep in a fence and leaves the 99 and goes look for that one. That one is important to the shepherd. Now we may look at that and say that's bad math. You're leaving the 99 to go for the one? That's bad math unless you're the one. He then goes from the story of the, the lost sheep to the story of the lost coin. He tells the story of a, of a wife who, who her, with her dowry, the symbol of her, the, how much she's loved by her husband. In these coins, she loses one, and she flips out. It would be like if one of you ladies lost your wedding band. Like you, you had taken your rings off and set it on the on the sink to wash your hands, and you look and it's gone. What are you gonna do? You're gonna flip out. She takes the house, she takes lights and makes it really bright, and she sweeps and she cleans and she looks until she finds that one coin. That was super important to her. She had the, all the other coins. Why? If only one. And every person who heard that story going, oh yeah, yeah, I would have done the same thing. And Jesus is saying. That one lost soul has import, it has importance. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and then we, Jesus goes to the story of the lost son. Son comes to his father and says, you know what, I wish you were dead. All your stuff that I would get when you die and I inherit it, I want it now. And he goes out, he gets tore up from the floor up with all of his friends. Until he blowed all his daddy's money, I, we were, uh, earlier service I, I was saying, I don't think blowed is a word, but we say it all the time. He blowed all his daddy's money, and all of his friends somehow mysteriously evaporated. And then he's left caring for pigs, and I love how the text words it, and he came to himself. We've all had those moments when we were someplace where we shouldn't be, doing something we shouldn't be doing, and then all of a sudden we thought, what am I doing here? He came to himself and said, even the slaves in my father's house have it better than this. So he goes home. And the story is set up for these Pharisees who are upset that Jesus is spending time with the tax collectors and sinners. And so he places them in the role of the other brother. Both brothers are lost. Both brothers are going to the same hell. One is a good old boy. He's an upright citizen. He does everything he's supposed to do. He works hard. He does the things that he's supposed to do. This brother blowed all his daddy's money. The point of the story, the bad guy in the story, is not the prodigal son who goes off and carouses. The bad guy in the story is the good son who stays home that everybody thinks is good and upstanding. Because when the His little brother comes home, he's like, Hey, I've been here busting it my whole life. Nobody's ever thrown a party for me. And here, Biggin comes back and he gets the fat calf. It's just not fair. Didn't mean to do that. And Jesus is saying and wants us to understand you can't earn your way to heaven. And that there's a lot of good church folk that think they can. Yesterday I preached a funeral and afterwards I had someone come up and said, how many preachers do you think will be in heaven? And I said, not as many as you think. Because there's a lot of people who think that standing in front of a crowd reading the Bible is going to get them into heaven and it's not. Nothing's going to save me, nothing's going to save you except the blood of Jesus. That's it. That's all there is. And so Jesus wants us to understand that the brother who went and blowed all his daddy's money and the brother who stayed home and did all the good stuff, both of them were bound to go to the same hell if it wasn't for the father's intervention. So we had the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost brother's. We read about the rich man and Lazarus. There's this juxtaposition between two people that would have been jarring and shocking. Okay, so there was this idea that if a person is blessed and well-off and healthy and, and, and has everything that they need, has a nice house, has a nice car, has the latest phone. Ha- that guy clearly is doing what he's supposed to do, and God is blessing him. If somebody is sick, if somebody is poor, if somebody is, is lacking in this life, then clearly God is not blessing them, so they must be bad off spiritually, and the rich guy is doing it right. Now, we would never say that out loud, but we kind of think the same thing. We, we treat people differently based on how they're dressed, how they come across, whether or not they say blowed or not. We treat people differently, don't we? Let's just be real here. If I'm at Walmart and somebody who's dressed nice, who seems like they have a command of the English vocabulary, comes up and says, excuse me, could you show me, could, I, could you help me? Where's, where's sporting goods? Why you, Unless they've rearranged it, it's right back there. Where if somebody comes up to me and she stinks a little bit, she's wearing leggings that are too tight, too small, she's got a T-shirt with something vulgar on it, comes up and asks the same question, I'm going to respond differently, aren't we? Don't we? Am I the only person that's just a jerk? Some of you are going, yes, yes you are. But Jesus turns this idea on his head because he says, and Lazarus, the poor man, died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and in hell lifted up his eyes being in torment. Jesus wants them to see That what's going on on the outside isn't nearly as important as what's going on in the heart. Don't look at somebody and go, because they're financially bad off, they must have God's curse on their life, so clearly they don't love God as much as I do. Or, clearly God loves me more than he does them. Jesus is saying, what's going on in the external isn't as important. The phrase that's used over and over, let him who has eyes to see, see. Let him who has ears to hear, hear. And oh, wow, this idea has preached to me this week. Because every time I pick up the news, it seems like externally, everything's gone haywire. Everything's gone crazy. And if you're not careful, that's all you think about. Oh my gosh, what are they going to do with the schools? And oh my dear Lord, this person's going to get elected and then this is going to happen and that's going to happen. And ah, what's going to go on? What is going to happen to me next month, next week, next year? And Jesus is saying, who cares? What's important is what's going on in your heart. Use this uncertainty. I swear if I hear another commercial that says, in these uncertain times, Buy Hyundai or whatever it is they're pitching. If you use the phrase uncertain times, I'm looking at the camera. I'm not buying your junk. I know it's uncertain times. In these uncertain times, use this as an opportunity to change your heart, to become dependent on the fact that God provides everything you've got. From the breath you breathe to the thought processes that you can have that allow you to work the job that you, you have are all gifts from God. And he can take them or give them as he wills. What is it Job said? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Who are we to only receive good from the Lord and not evil? Now there he's not talking about wickedness, evil. He's saying bad things happen. Bad things happen in life. We shouldn't be shocked by that. But the things that come at us aren't nearly as important as what comes out of us. It's not what goes into a man that corrupts him, but what comes out of a man, Jesus said. And what that means is, use this time, this time in our history, that our grandkids will be reading about 2020. Man, those people had rough. When our grandkids read about that, I hope that they think of your name and say, oh, but they were faithful. So lost sheep, lost coin, lost brothers, rich man and Lazarus. We had 10 lepers that came to Jesus and only two were thankful Jesus says, "Let the little children come unto me." When we always mix this one up. In fact, I, I, there's probably not a nursery in a Baptist church in this state that doesn't have a picture of Jesus with the little kids sitting on his lap. In fact, when I preached this, I was looking through my notes on all these sermons, and I had brought up that in Columbia, South America, at uh, Centro Batista de Cartagena, where Ann and I went to church. Um, they, as you walked into the children's area, there was this huge mural of Jesus with the little kids sitting in his lap. And I always laughed because Jesus had blonde hair and blue eyes. And I thought, yep, some mission team came here. Some white people painted that. Um, and so here was, here was blonde haired, blue eyed Jesus. He looked like a 1970s surfer with the little kids in his lap. Um, and so, uh, We look at that and think, oh, that's a sweet picture, but we missed the point. Jesus said, suffer the little children, come unto me. Unless you become like them, you're not going to go to heaven. Now, what does that mean? In that culture, at that time, children were valueless. They couldn't do anything to produce. If you lived in a world where you had nine kids and you had to make a choice, this is harsh, if you had to make a choice, do I eat or do the kids eat? I eat because I'm going to provide for the other eight kids. That little young and snot-nosed punk right there can't provide for anything. And so children were looked at as valueless. And so Jesus saying, unless you come to me and recognize that you don't bring anything to the table, you're not coming to me. You're coming to me for something. Don't we often come to Jesus and go, hey Lord, um, while I got you, my car is making a funny noise. Could you can can you can you can you heal lifters, God? Because I, I need you to heal some lifters. God, while I got you, the doctor took a biopsy, and I, Lord, it'd be. Are we coming to God only because of what He can, or are we like these children coming to Jesus, saying, "I don't bring anything here. I need You." Let him who has eyes to see see. We see a blind man who's healed in this text. Someone who, again, the culture would say the very fact that he's blind and sick, he's sinned. Somebody's sinned and messed up, and that's why he's having those problems. And yet Jesus says, your faith, your faith, you blind man, your faith has made you whole. So Jesus is showing and hammering home through action and through teaching that the Son of Man comes to seek and save Those that are lost, we have to come to him with closed, open hands, recognizing that we bring nothing. We cannot come to God with the attitude, God, you are so lucky that I'm on your team now. We come to God and recognize that we're in desperate need of a Savior. And then we come to Zacchaeus. Jesus was coming into Jericho. One story, one I, one I missed that we have to touch on, rich young ruler. And I can't believe I almost missed him. See, that that's why you write notes. Remember, the culture taught that if you're rich, you're wealthy, you had it all together, that you were blessed by God. This guy was super had it all together. He's rich. He drew, wore all the best clothes. He had on his Nike uh, Air Force shoes. He had an Apple Watch, he had his hair just so, he was dapper, he was tan, he was rich, he was young, and he was in charge. Rich, young, ruler. Everything that our culture worships, he had it. He came up to Jesus and said, had an emotional experience, came to the altar, if you will, Says that he came over, fell down at his knees, and said, "Master, Master, Lord," he got saved, right? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus fails evangelism one on one. He doesn't welcome this guy into the kingdom with open arms. He first he starts out. He says, "Dude, you've read the law. You know what you got to do." What Jesus was trying to do there was sh- this got to show some humility. All of us look at the law and know we can't keep it. We can't keep any of it. I mean, on the big ones, we think, well, I got that one. I'm not committing adultery. Well, Jesus raised the bar. If you w- look at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. Well, I, I haven't killed anybody. And By the way, if that's, that's the bar, you've set it real low. I- I've never killed anybody. Well, Jesus said if you've got hatred in your heart, you've committed murder in your heart. So every one of you in a turn lane on 431 has murdered at least one person. <laughs> Amen, I hear you, my brother. Um, so we can't keep any of the law. So this was the opportunity for this rich young ruler to go, hey, you're right. I, I need something. But no, what does he say? Oh, I've kept them all from my youth. I've never sinned reminds me of, I won't say the child's name because I don't embarrass anybody, but uh, Donna in the kids area was had a group of kids, 20 or so kids around, and she, she says, is teaching this very point, and she tells the kids, um, so is anybody here taking something that wasn't yours? Most of the kids are, yes, and this one little girl is look, looking around, and no, and she's looking about, I can't believe y'all stealing stuff. And and she, so Donna sees the girl's body language. And so she's like tries to. Have you ever said that you did something that, that you, you shouldn't have said? That you you told maybe told a lie, even a, a little white lie. Have you ever said something that wasn't entirely true? And, and you know, all the rest of the kids are like, Yeah, I've done that. And this little same little girl's like, Man, you're you are you are all are bad. And she's looking around and, and has this expression. So Donna's like, Well, have you ever Taking maybe a toy from your brother or sister. Take and and again, this girl and she she never broke. Man, I I need to talk to my parents about going to a different church because these some evil little kids in here that I'm with. And she never got it. Well, here this that's okay when you're three. You you're not supposed to get it. But here this rich young ruler is. He's Charles in charge, and he's like, I've kept them all, man. I got it. And Jesus, knowing his heart, knew where to put his finger so that it would, he said, Okay, fine. Well, you just like one thing, and then you got it, brother. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And the text says that he went away sad. Jesus is trying to show us that we're all lost. Now, don't get wrapped around a hub about going and selling all that you have to give the poor, that may not be your place. That may not be where God can put his finger on your heart. The point is, is that God wants all of you. If you walk into a Christian bookstore and you see the sign that says, hey, you can spend five minutes with God. I'm here to tell you, God doesn't want you five minutes. Either give him your whole life or you're not giving him anything. He wants all of you. He wants you at work. He wants you in your relationship with your spouse. He wants you in your relationship with your kids. He wants all of you. Except a man take up his cross and follow me, he is not worthy of me. Except a man deny himself daily. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. and Many there be that find it. Narrow is the way that leads to God's way and few there be that find it. Except a man deny himself and follow me. Deny himself and follow me. God wants all of you. So we're seeing this arc where the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. And Luke is trying to hammer home through stories, through teaching, that hey, what uh, outside appearance isn't important. God came to save people. And he ends this arc with Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus is described. It's somebody that nobody in this room would like. He's the chief tax collector. So they're starting out. This guy is Don Corleone. He's the guy that all the other goons come and kiss his ring. He's the guy that could point at somebody and say, that guy's walking with a limp because he's got a broke leg, and somebody's going to go with a baseball bat and break his leg. You didn't make him mad. He owned this town. He's a short guy. So he's a little guy with power. The most asinine thing ever. So in my mind, now the text doesn't say this, but in my mind, he's got short man disease, right? And so he's bowed up. Nobody likes him. So we start out, he's a a small in stature person, and he's rich. He's chief tax collector. But he was seeking to see Jesus, but the crowd is around him. Jesus, remember from some of the other stories, Jesus got this massive crowd around him. And so Jesus is walking into Jericho and the crowd is around him. And I can, in my mind, I can picture little Zacchaeus trying to see Jesus, walking along. We're, he's trying to see him, he can't. And so he knows where they're going. He knows the direction they're headed. So he runs ahead and he gets up in a sycamore tree, the good Lord for to see. I hope y'all VBS the song. This song should be rolling through your head. So we know now that Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. And he climbed up in the sycamore tree, the good Lord, for to see. So Jesus comes along. And it's almost like Jesus, it's like this is an appointment. There's no shock here. There's no, hey, the most powerful. Underworld boss in this city is hanging out in this tree, doesn't shock Jesus at all. He and so he looks up at the tree, like like again, like this is an appointment. Like Zacchaeus is my three o'clock, and so yeah, he's there in the tree. Hey, Zacchaeus, let's go. We got to go to your house. I'm going to your your house today, for I'm going to your house today. Um so he says to Zacchaeus, first of all, notice. That from the description, he's somebody we're gonna hate, and then from seeing his actions, more and more and more we fall in love with him. This little dude was willing to humble himself and climb up in a tree just so he could catch a glimpse of Jesus. And Jesus doesn't, I mean, we've seen him heal lepers. I think one of the first sermons Matt preached here was about the 10 lepers that came to Jesus and that horrible skin disease, Jesus just kapow and gets rid of the disease. We just read a story, the section before this, where Jesus, there's a blind dude who's crying out to Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, he's like, what do you want? And he's like, give me sight. And Jesus is like, "Kabow, you can see. And this blind guy can see. Here's Zacchaeus. All that Jesus does is show him some love hey, let me come to your house and get something to eat. Now, this was a huge social faux pas. All of the good church folk would definitely have been, uh, you know who he is, right? You're going to go to his house? You're going to go in his house? Jesus just shows him love. It doesn't have to be something massive. And look at the impact that that has on, on Zacchaeus. He hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's going to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. I just hear the good church folk going, can you believe he's doing mm, I'm not going to go there because I want to keep my job. Okay, so um, Zacchaeus immediately not only repents but has fruit to repentance. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he's the son of Abraham. Immediately we see not only a heart change, we see the outward actions of that. We see God make a change in his heart, and then immediately he walks away from his livelihood. He walks away from everything he knew. He gives his goods to take care of the very people that an hour before he would gladly have robbed. We see a new creation. Behold, all things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You would think that the Pharisees, the good church folks, would celebrate that instead of grumble. Let him who has eyes to see, see. Let him who has ears to hear, hear. Recognize that Jesus is calling in your heart and in your life. Jesus doesn't want you to change and become a good old boy, a good person. This state is full up of people who do whatever the heck they want to do and put a Jesus fish on the back of their car and think that's going to get them to heaven. Or they show up at church on Sunday and shake a few hands and think that's all they need. I got the check in the box, now God owes me. The Pharisees were good people. They literally if they were at a restaurant and put some salt on their meal, would tithe from that salt. They would tithe from their spices. They literally, because the law tells them that they're not supposed to eat bugs, they would take, and they, if they had a drink, they would put cheesecloth over the outside of that drink and hold it so that it would strain out any gnats that accidentally flew in their drink. They cared about doing the jot and tittle of the law. But what they didn't care about was people. They would gladly smirk as Zacchaeus went to hell. And what Jesus is saying is if that's your attitude, then you're missing the point. Open your eyes. Throughout this whole section, Luke keeps saying, behold, which in translation is lost. He's saying, look, look at this. Look, it's not the rich man that goes to heaven. It's the poor guy. But it's not about money because here I'm going to save the rich guy. It's not about what's in your bank account. It's not about what little design you have on your shirt for good or for bad. It's not about what kind of car you drive. It's not whether or not you have an Android or an iPhone. It's not about whether or not your skirt goes to a certain length or you're wearing pants or whatever stupid rule you've heard in church. It's about whether or not you have given Jesus lordship of your life. That's all it's about. And this world can literally go to hell in a handbasket. This country can go off the rails so that we're hunger gaming it by December and it doesn't matter, follow Jesus. Follow them with everything that you've got. All well, you got a job, follow them at work. If they lay you off tomorrow, follow them at home. If you're standing on the corner with a towel wrapped around you and all you've got is that towel, follow them with that towel. With everything you are and everything you've got, no matter what's going on, follow Jesus. Jesus says, if you're doing that, then a bird. Can't you go buy a bird for like a quarter? And yet, God makes sure that they're taken care of. Is God not paying attention to you? Don't worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Today's got enough troubles. We're about today. Oh, we need to hear that right now in these trying times. And so Luke, this whole four-chapter arc, Luke ends with one resounding statement. He buttons it all up. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Father God, Lord, I pray that you apply your word to our heart. As we step off for the next few months in the book of Luke, God, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we would see wonderful things from your word, that would apply to us as we go through our days. Lord, I pray that you would help us to love you, to lean on you, to be your people, and you be our God. Lord, I pray that your kingdom would explode in our hearts and grow. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.